I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We are going to start a uh, series this morning. It's going to go probably five weeks uh, through Jonah. We're just going to look at the first three verses this morning. And I want us to... Most of us are familiar with this story. And so it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of hard for a preacher when he starts preaching through stories that we've heard all our lives, most of us. Even if you weren't brought up in the church, you know the story of Jonah to a certain extent. And I was not saved until I was 22, didn't go to church hardly at all when I was growing up. But I knew this story. And so it's, you know, it's always kind of a challenge to find something unique and maybe different than than, um, than we might have heard before. But what, I would, what I'm hoping that we can do as we work through this is to see ourselves in the story of Jonah. Because at the end of the message today, I'm going to share with you how this story really came to life in my life back in 1998. And it made a huge impact on how... Um, I saw people that I thought were beneath me, and, um, and I still have to kind of wrestle with that these days. As I go through life, whether I'm in traffic and I think these people need to get out of my way, or, you know, that we all have things we need to recognize in our life that Jonah was wrestling with. And so I hope we can see that beginning this morning and throughout this um, Throughout this time. So let's just read the first three verses here, the first two and a half verses, really. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, where the from the presence of the Lord. Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray you would speak clearly to us through me. And we just trust your Holy Spirit to share with us, to open our eyes to those nuggets of truth in our own life that we need to address or you would like for us to address. Father, we are trusting more in what the Holy Spirit does in us than what anybody standing on this stage, says. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would speak in our lives. Comfort where needed, convict where needed. But, Father, that we would need, we need you to speak clearly to us this morning. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. The first verse there says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And, and we know that there's, there's, there's some, there are some out there who th kind of think Jonah was not really, this story is not a real story or anything. But, you know, it was interesting that Jesus, he actually referred to Jonah back in uh, Matthew and in Luke. And he, 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 he talked about not only, uh, you know, when, when they were asking for signs, the people were asking for him to do these great signs. And, 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 and Jesus referred to Jonah and how Jonah was in the, in the fish for three, three days and three nights and that Jesus himself would be buried for three days and three nights and come forth. And, and he talked about how Nineveh was, it, it, it was uh, going to be or, or was judged and how the, the people in, in, in Israel and the people of the world are going to be judged. And so here, 
he, you know, we, we need to look at this as a historical figure and a historical event, not just something that is made up, just to, just to make a point. And so, uh, in, in matter of fact, in 2 Kings, it even has, we know that Jonah was a, was a prophet when he says that he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. He spoke through him during the time of King Jeroboam II. And so King Jeroboam, he was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel for a time. And, and listen, this king did some pretty good things. He expanded the kingdom of Israel further than it had been expanded. They, they were touching places they hadn't touched since David and Solomon were kings. The kingdom was, they were, they were doing well financially. They were doing well geographically. They were doing wondrous things. But in 2 Kings 14, 24, it says that this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we know that as much as we know that a, a, a place can enjoy prosperity and and, and, and really some wonderful things and still be morally bankrupt and just still have, to, still have to recognize that spiritually, no matter how well they were doing spiritually, they were just dying on the vine. And so Amos, actually a, con a, a contemporary of uh, Jonah at the time, another prophet, he wrote, For I know you're talking to Israel. I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes, turn aside the poor in the gate. He's, he's just saying, you know, you might have all of this cool things going on with you. You might have, the, 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 the borders might be secure. You might be expanding your kingdom. The, the, the banks might be full of money. Your, your business is doing great. And your family seems to be healthy and doing wonderful. But spiritually, the country was not doing well at all. So this was about the time period that Jonah, as a prophet, was, was there. And, and, the, and the first thing that we see here is that Jonah was called to do something. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. Look at what it says in verse 2. Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. There are three things there, I think. You know, it, it's, it's not it's imperative or anything. It's not that important. But it says to get up and go and cry against are the three things that it says there. That, that was his call. Wherever he was, he said, you need to get up from there. You need to go where I'm telling you to go, and you need to cry against this place I'm telling you to cry against. Now, many places, if you go and cry against something, it's going to be hard to go and cry against. I mean, if, I, if the Lord had called me to come in here and stand before you this morning and just start crying against all the things that, you know, that God laid on my heart to cry against what was going on here. That would be difficult enough because I don't necessarily like doing those kinds of things. I don't even like sitting down and having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and say, hey, man, you know, you ain't got your act together. You got, there's some things in your life that aren't really cool. I'm, I'm really, I don't look forward to those kinds of things. But here, God has called Jonah, who was a prophet, to go to Nineveh. Now, Let's think about this, because not only did God call him, we're going to, this, this first section here, 
a lot of times preachers spend most of their time on the first section and then a little time on the third, second section and then the thir- and, and third time they're trying to race through it to, so they can get to lunch on time or something like that. Well, on this one, we're going to spend the bulk of our time on the last two. This first one was just, we need to see what God was saying, Jonah, I need for you to arise, I need for you to go to Nineveh, and I need you to cry against it. And he was going to tell him what to say. We find out later on. He's going to tell him what to say. But here he's just telling him, this is your call. This is what I'm asking you to do. And he says, I need for you to go to Nineveh. Jonah's situation was he did not want to go to Nineveh. Why did he not want to go to Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was, first of all, it was far away. Okay, it's, 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 it's like most estimations, 500 miles away. Nineveh is actually located somewhere in northern Iraq today, modern-day northern Iraq, probably around Mosul or Mosul or however you want to say that. But up in that area, that's, that's where, that's where uh, Nineveh was located. And it was the capital of the Assyrian kingdom there, and it did not have a very good reputation at all. Uh, it, it, was, it was actually founded by, most people believe it was founded by Nimrod, who was the great-grandson of Noah, who went away and developed this city. As a matter of fact, Nimrod is one of those guys who was uh, involved in the tower, building of the Tower of Babel and all that. And so Nimrod is actually rebellious. His, his name means rebel. He was rebellious against the things of God, and he went up there. He established the, the city of Nineveh, and over time... They were an incredibly large city. It says here, Nineveh, the great city, when he identified it. Later on in chapter 3, verse 3, it says that it was an exceedingly great city. And so great could be it was great in reputation, it was great in all the things it had going for it, or it could be it was great in geography, it was great in square miles, square kilometers, whatever you want to do But it also could be it was great in how the verse here describes it. For their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was a brutal place. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of other other prophets wrote some things talking about Israel, how they were going to have some problems with the Assyrian kingdom later. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 5, it says, They will not return to Egypt. Talking about Israel, you're not going to return to Egypt, but Assyria will be their king because they refuse to return to me. God is saying, I'm not going to send them back to Egypt, but they're going to be under the authority of Assyria. They were not, they are not, they are Assyria and Nineveh are enemies of Israel. So you can get it and you can kind of get your head around the idea that. Ju- Jonah was not real excited to go 500 miles into enemy territory to cry against it. All right? He just wasn't into that. Amos said, therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord. He had already had had God had worked it out to where because of Israel's rebellion against God, he was going to work it out to where they come under the authority of the Assyrian kingdom. And it does happen several decades later. It does happen around 722 B.C., I believe it is, that um, Israel comes under the authority as taken over by Assyria. Let me just read you something. I was looking through some stuff on, on, online trying to find some stories, some things about how brutal 
the Assyrian kingdom was. There's something here I found actually on Nine Mark's website in, a, in an article I read. It says, in one stone pillar, an Assyrian ruler boasted of, quote, nobles I flayed. He said that 3,000 captives I burned with fire. I left no one hostage alive. I cut off the hands and feet of some. I cut the noses and ears and fingers of others. The eyes of numerous soldiers I put out. Maidens I burned alive. That doesn't sound like a very good place that you would want to pack your bags. Just imagine, just imagine if God had kind of called you right now to go to a place like this. Would we be like, yeah, that sounds like a vacation destination I want to pack my bags and go to. No one in this room would be excited about that, probably. But that's what Jonah's situation was. Jonah was in a place where God had called him to go to this place, who was an enemy, who was prophesied to be taking over Israel, and he was to go there and cry against it. That just doesn't sound like a good time to be had by anyone. There were some games that they used to play, and, and, and some of the things I've read in the past is where they would just take people and tie them to horses and just whip the horses until they would rip arms or limbs off of people. Just these people were brutal. And the only reason I'm sharing these stories is to get us around the idea that this is what Jonah was up against. This is the choice that he had. God had said, I want you to get up. I want you to go to this place that I just described to you, that myself I just described. He knew all this stuff was going on. He had no doubt they were a terrible place to go. This was a terrible place to go. But here, Jonah was told, I want you to go there and cry against it. And the one thing, and, and listen, last week, Keith preached, he preached a message and, and there in Acts, and he talked about how, you know, God, even in the Old Testament, was still interested in Gentiles and reaching Gentiles and seeing Gentiles come to him to hear. He is sending Jonah to a Gentile nation. He is sending Jonah to a place that Jonah's probably saying, wait a minute, I am a prophet of Israel. Why are you sending me to the Gentiles? Why do you want me to go to those people? They are our enemies. They are against you, God. Why are you interested in me going to them? And we're going to find out even later that not only was it because of all of this fear, but Jonah, in all honesty, was a racist. We'll see that later. You'll have to come back in about three weeks and hear that one. But Jonah, because he did not want to go to them, because they were Gentiles and they were against God, and he did not want to listen to what God had to say about what he wanted to do, Jonah was going to make a decision for God that I don't need to go there since you're going to be doing all this stuff against them anyway. And so here, his situation is he's got all of this information how big they are, how great they are, how terrible they are, how brutal they are. And they're Gentiles. But their wickedness was what God pointed out. In the last half of that second verse, he said, For their wickedness has come up before me. One of the things that Nineveh had going against it was they had just multiple gods. 
They, they worship the God of the, of the sun. They worship the God of the moon, the God of the earth, the God of thunder, the God of... It was almost like Greek mythology. They were just... They, they were worshiping multiple gods. As a matter of fact, uh, some theologians, some commentaries that I have read in the past and this week reminded me of this, is that Nineveh, they think, came from... Actually came from the word of Ninus, which is like a, 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 a local language at that time of the fish, which is interesting since... Jonah was swallowed up by a fish and all that. But it doesn't even matter. The, the whole idea there is that they had a God for a fish. I forget the name of it, but they had a God for fish, a God of water. They had a God of the desert. They had a God of everything. It was when, when we lived in India for those four years, anywhere that you wanted to go and wrap a red ribbon around something, that became deity. I mean, we could, we could step out our house and you could see there, there, there was a, a tree over across the street that had a red ribbon on it. You could go up the, you, you, cows had red ribbons around them. If, if, if it was a rock that had a unique looking shape to it, they would wrap a red ribbon around it. And that was something that they would worship. And it, it, I, when I went, first went to India, I just thought they had maybe a few thousand gods. But when I got there and talked to, and talked to some of the, Baboos and the religious leaders in, in, in Hinduism, they, they talked about millions of gods that they had. That is not the one true God, Yahweh's intention on mankind, for mankind. That's not, what he, that's not how he created things. That's not why he created the earth and man and wanting a relationship with mankind. That's not what his goal was from the beginning, is that we would turn around and turn creation into gods and tie red ribbons or even just in our own life just revere nature more than we do the one who created nature. But here, Nineveh, their wickedness shown in the fact that they had all of these gods that they worshipped. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's response was, I'm not going to do what you want me to do, God. I'm going to do what I think is best for me. And it says that he did get up. He did, you know, the three parts of the, that God said, get up, go, and cry out, well, what he did was he got up, but he fled and hid. That's what he did. He was running away from God, and it says that he decided he was going to just rise up and go to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is, most believe it's a Phoenician port on the southern tip of Spain back then. But there are, there's ideas that it could be in somewhere in Spain, somewhere in North Africa, around Tunisia. It could have been in multiple places. Most people tend to believe it is over in the southern tip of Spain, uh, Tarshish was. And it says that he fled from the presence of the Lord. He was fleeing God's presence. It's, it's, it's ludicrous to think that a prophet can have the mind that he can flee God's presence. I mean, after all, he had to be familiar with Psalm 139, where it says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. 
Even if I rise up on the wing of the dawn and go to the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Surely he knew that. That God was everywhere, that he was not going to be able to flee from the presence of God. And, and so I don't know that this means that he was just trying to flee from, he thought that he could actually get away from the presence of God as much as he was just running away from. The, the idea here is that he was running from what God had wanted him to do. There is a potential meaning that is, and, and if we look over, just flip over to chapter 2 real quick in verse 4, when he is actually in the fish, he's praying. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks. But he says, So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. There is this idea, some believe, that when, when he says he was fleeing the presence of the Lord, he just wanted to get as far away from the temple as he could. but it's irrelevant. In his mind, he was, he was saying, I, want, I just want to get away from you. I just want to flee your presence. And, and let me just say, he didn't have to go to Tarshish to do it. Tarshish was over a thousand miles to the west, the exact opposite of where Nineveh was. He was willing to go further away from what God wanted to do than where God wanted him to go in his disobedience. He, he was willing to as a prophet, and as, as, as preaching God's word, as preaching from God's spirit to the is, people of Israel, he was willing to disregard all of that and run away to a place that was much further from his stomping grounds, much further from home. But I would say that Tarshish was not necessarily where he needed to go to get away from God. I believe that what happened was the moment he said no to God, he fled from his presence. The moment he took that first step, when he turned his back on what God wanted him to do, that was when he began his disobedience. The moment he even thought about it, he didn't even have to take the step. He just, the, the moment he began thinking about it, was the time when he crossed the line from being someone who that God, he was honoring and, and, and honoring God to the time when he was running from God. He tried to leave from the presence of the Lord. The story I wanted to tell you was a time when I first went to Morocco in North Africa. Uh, I am... By no means am I proud of this because you would think that someone who was called by God to go to a place would act better than what I acted like. But when I went to Morocco, I knew it was an Islamic country and I knew the way from talking to other people who had lived in various Muslim countries, I knew the way they, they acted. But it began to drive me nuts the way the men treated women and children in this country. It drove me absolutely crazy when I would see the, the actual abuse in public of, I'm not even going to go into it. It would just, I was, my heart was not for the Moroccan people based on what I was seeing around me. In my mind, I was thinking, man, they do not deserve God. They are so far from God. They don't deserve God. 
And I went, I was, I didn't even see it, I didn't even see that coming on. I just thought that was natural, that was normal. Shannon was trying to speak into my life, other people were trying to speak into my life, and I'm going, man, you don't see what I see. Well, now I know they did. They did. They, they, they sat in the same cafe I did. They walked the same streets I did. They interacted with the same people I did. It's just for me, I was looking at this and I was saying, man, these people do not deserve God. And there was, and, and there was a time, we hadn't been there six months. We were in actually southern Spain. Get a load of this. I'm sitting on the beach in southern Spain. I'm looking across the Straits of Gibraltar at Morocco on the other side. And I am seriously thinking this, God, I don't care if you rain fire down on that country. Thinking I had every right to think that. And there was something that happened in that moment. God reminded me of this story. While I sat on that beach and I looked across there, and as I thought about not just these three verses, but the whole story of Jonah, I thought, who am I? It just came on me. I didn't think this. This is what God was telling me. Who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do with these people? I sent you there to love them, to share the God, my love with them, to tell them about me. Who are you to tell me they don't deserve that? And I remember, I'm not, I was broken. I was a sobbing mess. I was, you know, that snot blowing, crying you do sometimes when you, you know, you, something's going on. I was sitting on the beach just bawling like a baby. I'm sure those two Spanish guys that came by on, on those windsurfing things around the coast there looked at me and thought, man, these Americans are nuts. Looking at all this beauty around me, and I am crying like a baby. And over the next few weeks, God, it didn't go away like this. It, didn't, it wasn't as quick as what uh, we think Jonah did. It was actually closer to what Jonah did because I, I think, okay, God, I'm going to love them. And as I got back into them and tried to love them, listen, it was, it was impossible for me to love them. I could not love them. And it took time for me to sit down and talk with my colleagues and talk with friends and people who had been there and some of my leaders and just to share with them the, the, how I was struggling, how I was having... And I had to be really transparent. Uh, it, it, it got really close that they were getting ready to send me home because I definitely was not being a missionary at the time to those people in North Africa. But there was something that happened during that as I was praying, as I was reading the Bible, over time, God changed my heart. God changed my heart that even these guys who were still acting like a bunch of doofuses, or doofi, I think that's the plural, even, God, even these guys who were acting the same way, they had not changed their behavior, but God changed my reaction towards them. And I can tell you now that I would, I would retire and go live in that country for the rest of my days now because God has changed my heart to so that I love those people. I absolutely, you can ask Shannon, I would, leave, I would leave right now if we could and fly and set up camp and just live the rest of my days in Morocco. And it was something that God did in me. But I had to sit down and think through, God, what have you called me to? What is this situation that I find myself in? And how am I going to respond to it? Initially, it was, God, you can rain fire on them. Man, I'm going to enjoy the food. I'm going to enjoy the weather. 
I'm going to enjoy even, even their hospitality because they were cr- incredibly hospitable people. But as you got to know them, you saw some things that just drove you nuts. But even through all of that, God was able to change my heart towards those people. It wasn't anything. There wasn't a book I read. There wasn't a, a conversation I had or anything like that. It was just me falling before my father and saying, man, I know this is wrong. God, I know this is wrong. I was in the same boat where Jonah where God said, I want you to get up, I want you to go to Morocco, and I want you to cry out to those people. And I got up and I went, and I hated those people. But God was able to change my heart. And it wasn't just in Morocco. I started seeing myself in that way even as I was having difficulty in relationships back in the States. As, as, as I was holding things against people when God would say, I need for you to get up and go be reconciled with that brother. But God, you don't understand what he's done, what he said, what he did. What... I'm sorry, did I, did I say we wanted to have a conversation? No, get up and go reconcile yourself. The scriptures say if you were to bring in your offering to the Lord and, and you know that you're as a brother, you need to go leave your offering, go reconcile yourself, to come back and present your offering. I had, to do, I had to do that a few times. There are things that I had to, rec- I, I had to deal with things like this. When God would call me, I had to look back on my life and, 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 and just reconcile things either with people or with God or, or whatever. Things that I, were being, I was being disobedient to him that I wasn't able to experience all that he had for me. Because listen, when we say no to God, we have turned ourselves towards Tarshish. We are moving away from God and what he wants us to do. And so this morning, as we get ready this journey through Jonah for the next four weeks, over the next four weeks after this, I want us to think about this, just this section right here, just these two and a half verses right here, and put ourselves in that story. What is it that God has said, get up, Go and do in your life. What is it that you need to spend some time, not just quietly in here, a few little, a, few, a minute or so after church or whatever, but seriously spend time, days, and weeks just allowing God's Spirit to work in your life and being transparent with Him so that He can work in us. Because listen, you've heard me say this before. God can work through us when he is working in us and affect the lost world around us. But until we we allow God to work in us, we, we will be fruitless in what we try to do for him. We can be busy and active for him. We can put on the game face. We can think everything is just great. And keep marching along. But if we are disobeying him in areas of our lives where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, honor your, your parents. What is it that God wants us to do? Not collectively, individually. What is it that he wants you and me to do in our lives as we continually surrender to him? Are you willing to get up, go, and do 
what it is that God wants you and me to do. We're going to let that be the thing that we're going to reflect on this morning as, 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 as we close this message out. I want you to just sit there for just a few moments as our worship leaders come back up here. Just for a few moments, I want you to reflect on that. What is it in your life? And, and I, I promise you right now, as I'm saying, as I have said these words, God has brought it to your mind. Don't just push it away and think I've dealt with that. Don't just ignore that. Reflect on that. What is it that God wants you to do in, the, in these certain areas? Whether it is about relationships, whether it is about just disciplines or attitudes in our lives. How, do, do our words and our actions, our thoughts bring glory to God? Get up, go, and do. What is it that God would want you to do? So let's bow your heads for a moment as we reflect on that.